0: I expected just a little bit more feeling. Like, if this is Outlaw, I I don't know, what are you flinging from, like, a jaywalking charge? (laughs) Like, what's the...
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and music critics get together to discuss albums on Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Very excited to talk this week about Steve Earle's Guitar Town, which I actually realized I have been saying wrong because I did listen to a bunch of interviews and he refers to it as Guitar Town every time oh, he says guitar. it. So Steve oh. Earl's Guitar all right. Town. <laughs> all right. This is uh, an album from 1986. It is a country album. And I think it is safe to say that we don't have a whole lot of country contacts. So it's going to be a fun trip down some, uh, some new listening experiences for all of us. As always, we hope you've listened to this album before you have listened to this podcast. It will greatly enhance your experience. If you haven't listened to it yet, that's totally fine. Listen along to us, dissect it, uh, talk about the highs, the lows, the really super boring middles, and that'll enhance your experience when you listen to the the album. So, uh, we have our regular cast of characters here. Uh, I am Tom, and uh, I don't think that I understand anything about country music at all.
0: I'm Alan. I hope to never travel... Up or down the hillbilly highway? <laughs> um, Adam, I think
2: I think I might be a country boy at heart, even though I've I've never gotten into it. So we'll see. Mm, spicy.
3: I I'm Phil. Uh, you'd think I would love a record called Guitar Town uh, as a as a as a guitar loving uh, musician, but alas. Uh, Maybe not my favorite.
4: And this here is Rob. And I'll just say that if you are walking around on this earth thinking you don't like country music, turning on this record will quickly confirm that suspicion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about Steve Earle. I
1: was kind of excited for this album. Steve Earle is a personality that I feel like I know. We've talked about it before. He was on The Wire. He played... Bubbles, uh, NA sponsor on the wire, guy named Whalen. What, yeah, he was he was Bubbles NA sponsor on the wire, a guy named Whalen. Yeah, really? And, uh, as Adam pointed out, uh, that he said in an interview at one time, I played a redneck recovering drug addict,
4: I did not have to act.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna tell you a little bit about his life, so uh,
4: at least he found it, his lane, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he kept working with David Simon, too, he was in that next David Simon. New Orleans show Treme as well you kind of a bigger role in that
0: well he also in the process of of coming across that that comment he did one of the versions of the the wire theme song way down in the hole in I think season five maybe yes and if so if you have
1: watched the wire all the way through Adam <clears throat> but uh, have not people like oh but i've never heard steve earl you actually have because the montage at the end of season two that song feel all right i feel all right tonight that's a steve earl song Mm -hmm. he was supposed to have a bigger role in uh, a bigger character arc in the wire but his touring schedule got in the way so he wasn't on it for seasons two and three and um you know he's out there trying to make a living so let's just talk a little bit about steve earl who he is, how he got to the point of putting out this album, Guitar Town. He was born in 1955 in Virginia, moved to Texas shortly thereafter. His dad was an air traffic controller, which if you are not familiar, air traffic controllers make kind of a lot of money. And so he didn't have that sort of hard scrabble down and out, uh, you know, uh, upbringing that I feel like a lot of these country artists sort of claim as their. Uh, as their background he wasn't born on a farm he wasn't uh you know his daddy wasn't a coal miner or anything like that he was upper
4: middle class quick quick question on the air traffic controller is that a hard drinking profession because i feel like it could go either way (laughs) uh i actually know an air
1: traffic controller childhood friend of mine
4: all the time
1: (laughs) well you guys you guys remember um like childhood friend of mine who he was in he was in my wedding party he's like the one guy that wasn't like her yeah he's an air traffic controller it is a an incredibly demanding job, and they have like absolute zero tolerance for mistakes. And so, it is not the kind of job you can roll into hungover. You will get fired, like immediately. Well, fuck that
3: job. <laughs>
4: <laughs> As if, yeah. Man, this is a bummer. I, I'm
3: overwhelmed with the feeling that I missed my call. Like, <laughs> uh, you no. got to
1: pass lots of drug tests, Phil. This would not be a great job for no. Phil. It,
3: what is, <laughs> As I, I prepare to roll into work tomorrow, hungover.
4: <laughs> I just meant it was yeah. stressful, so I could see you. I understand the not hungover part. You got to be very dedicated, but I could see the wanting to blow off some steam aspect of it.
3: Rob, after the first plane crashed, I'd have another one crash on purpose, and then I would say, like, I'm meant to crash. Them. <laughs> Why? Would, you know that would be my would cover. Oh,
1: I meant to cry. So I'm just going to go to jail for 40 years. I'm supposed to lose
3: my job. I'm just, joking. I'm just, I'm joking. I like to cover mistakes by doing them again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, playing, and playing it off as a choice. That's why you love jazz, right. bro. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: well done. And so, even though he had this sort of like upper middle class. Upbringing, he was always sort of fascinated with country. He has idolized Towns Van Zant, and uh, as Alan pointed out in one of our text strings, or maybe even pointed out on the last podcast, that his son is what Justin Towns Earl, uh, named after Towns Van Zant. So, at the age of 14, he ran away from home to try to meet Towns Van Zant. And then at the age of 16, he dropped out of school to decide that he wanted to make it as a musician. So very early on in life, he was like, I am going to be a country musician. This is what I want to do. And I, I saw an interview with him where he basically said his parents wouldn't buy him an electric guitar. Like, he originally was like, I want to be Jimi Hendrix. And then his parents wouldn't buy him an electric guitar, so we only had an acoustic guitar. So we started, like, idolizing Towns Van Zandt and, like, Waylon Jennings and people like that. Because that's, that, that's all he could do with an acoustic guitar. And it really set the you know, set the the stage for his life. So sixteen, he drops out of school and he moves to he moves from Austin where he was living to Houston with his nineteen year old uncle who was also a musician. And they're like, We're gonna make it as a musician. I don't understand how his <laughs> parents were just like, Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds uh, okay, like a great cool. Idea. Yeah. It's been nice knowing you. Yeah. What the hell, man? That's a that is a big fail on the part of his parents. So this
3: is like nineteen seventy-ish.
1: Yeah, he was born in fifty-five. So yeah, this is like seventy-one. He moves away, moves to Houston, and decides that he wants to become a uh, a professional musician. You know, he lived in Houston for a while. Had a you know, he made a band called the Dukes. They played together. The the band the Dukes is actually the backup band on this album. So uh, they played together for a little bit. Then he moves to Nashville and decides that he wants to be a singer-songwriter, and he, but he gets a job as a songwriter, just one of those guys in the Nashville machine, just cranking out songs, selling songs to other people. He tells a famous story about how he wrote a song that Elvis Presley was supposed to record. So apparently he writes a song, and it's like... Uh, You know, he's very, like, excited because, like, Elvis is going to record your song. He's like, this is fantastic. And he shows up at the studio for, like, the day that Elvis is going to record the song, and Elvis just doesn't show up. And everybody's just sort of like, yeah, well, you're not getting getting any money for it because he didn't actually record it. And then Elvis died, like, a couple of months later, and he's always been (laughs) pissed off. Like, come on, man. Like, do you understand how much money I could have made if, like, one of the last Elvis (laughs) songs ever recorded was one of my songs? Was his, right, right. But, uh, yeah, so you know, he did that for a while, and then he sort of decided that, uh, you know, he wanted to put out his own stuff. Now, one of the things that I, I didn't realize at first was that, you do the math on this, born in 55, Guitar Town comes out in 86. He was 31 years old when he put out his first album. That's pretty old. You know, like, you know, that's not a fresh young face that's putting something out. But it was received pretty well as, like, uh, this sort of, like, you know, fresh young country artist.
3: Now, now, one thing to just, just you know, to just as a, to complement that though, different era, right? No home recording, right? You would have needed to secure now, now. Also, a different era. There were budget studios, right? That was a real thing that existed.
4: Especially there, right? yeah.
3: Especially, Especially there, sure. So d- different, different era, but well,
4: know. but that
0: that arc kind of follows. So that guy Chris Stapleton, who apparently was influenced by this kind of shit, was also like a songwriter by craft. And then decided that he wanted to start putting out his own stuff and was sort of like old, air quotes, like relative to when people normally do that stuff. So maybe that's like more common. In, uh, uh, that's also
3: the in Bruno children. Mars story, although I don't mm-hmm. think Bruno Mars was old, but he was pressured by producers to like front material that he was, had been, to
0: like rip on. off Roxanne.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly.
1: Well, you know, it's honestly, it's got to be kind of hard if you're like hard Scrabble you know you don't got any money you don't even have a high school education at this point like somebody's telling you i'll pay you 750 bucks for a song you're like that goes pretty far in my life you know or i can take a yeah, chance man, on a myself. Dizzle, the yeah. drugs
2: he was saying in one of those interviews that so he got he got married at 18 his wife's family hated him and invited her on like a two-month vacation and didn't invite him so he was like screw this And he just wound up playing, like, the honky-tonk scene down there. And you wouldn't get paid. It wasn't like you did a gig. Like, they would do pass the hat around the bar after each performer. So he said he would make, like, you know, $2 a night and then go to the diner next door to eat. And, like, that was basically, like, his meal (laughs) for the day. So even though he may have come from money, like, when he went to Nashville to do his thing, he was rubbing pennies together
4: to try to make it. Since you're mentioning his marriage, can we just say that according to Wikipedia he has been married 7 times?
1: Yeah, and like twice to the <laughs> same yeah, woman, right? I, I <laughs>
4: and twice yeah. to the
1: same woman. Yeah. That's I feel like that's so, something that like only famous people do. Like <laughs> I I feel like if you're if you're like uh, you know, just a poor redneck or a poor whatever, like, you don't even bother to get married after time number two <laughs> right? or something like right? that. It's common yeah. law for the rest of, you know, like, why would I even... Or you paperwork? don't bother
4: to get divorced for that matter. Yeah, that's a fair
1: point. <laughs> Com- competing with Liz Taylor at that point. Yeah, you're like, uh, well, we gotta divide up the our belongings. Uh, well, we rent the double wide and uh, we own a dog
0: <laughs> together, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, seven times you got to be a fucking masochist to to want to do that to yourself. <laughs> so, you know, one thing that I did
1: find to be interesting about him, and we'll we'll talk about uh, some of this and how it relates to the album, or maybe doesn't relate to the album, is he's got a lot of like very left leaning politics, and famously has for his entire um, career. He is the kind of guy who like. I saw in an interview, he basically said, like, I was born in Nash. I was born in Virginia. I grew up in Austin, lived in Nashville for a long time. The only place that I'm comfortable living is New York because I can walk down the street and see an interracial gay couple with an adopted child. And that makes me feel comfortable. Like, that's the (laughs) type of place. Like, I can't go back to Texas for too long. I feel like it's, like, super oppressive. And um, interestingly, he said that he lives on the block in New York that is the Freewheel and Bob Dylan picture. He lives, like, right on that block. And he said, like, many times he's had to, like, show tourists like, you're taking it from the wrong angle. You got to turn around because that's the shot that you actually want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, he was nice. big anti-war. It does
3: seem a little weird, though, man, right? Doesn't it seem a little weird? It's like he runs away at 14 to become Town Van Zandt. He, he, buy, he buys an apartment on the Freewheel and Bob Dylan Street. Like, it's a little... Have you ever been to the South, Phil? Yeah. Would you want to live there? Nah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not, I'm not I'm so, judging his choices. Well, I am just not in that
2: way. Alienating every one of our listeners who may live south of Maryland.
1: <laughs> well, I will say this. Listen, I watched that documentary, Heartworn Highways, that was like about sort of like, you know, Waylon Jennings, Towns of Van Ant, like those kind of like outlaw country guys, which we'll talk about outlaw country in a second. And um yeah, I they showed their houses, and, like, I'd much rather live in a brownstone in New York that seems a lot better than, uh, you know, the dog runs that they were living in uh, in those days. Also, just as an aside, like, the beginning scene of Heart Worn Highways is, like, Waylon Jennings in the studio about to record a song. That man's a beast. I did not realize, like, how good he was at the guitar and, like, how, like, he was obviously incredibly proficient in the studio, there's like, I mean, he's literally like smoking cigarettes in the vocal booth and stuff like that. But he's also just ripping this acoustic guitar. And he'll just like stop on a dime in the middle of a song be like, tone. Yeah, change that tone. That doesn't work for me. And then right back into it. And he sounds great. So anyway, Waylon Jennings, I was taken <laughs> he's back a ripper. by Austin. He's a ripper. He really is. But like, you know, a lot of people uh, in his age range, he was influenced by the Vietnam War. Very anti-war. Um, Part of it was that like a bunch of his friends got drafted and he was like he apparently like just barely missed the draft cutoff like they stopped drafting like right before he was eligible to be drafted because he basically was like I don't even have a high school education. There's no way I'm getting like a student deferment or anything like that identifies as a socialist very pro-choice even talks about like having his, his girlfriend had an illegal abortion in texas when they were younger because like her dad was a doctor and able to do it but he's like i know a lot of people who didn't have access to that and they had kids when they were super young never should have done that i'm super pro-choice i'm super like anti-war i'm like anti-capitalism and you know that kind of feeds into the sort of outlaw country uh vein of things because like He said in an interview, and this is something that, like, disabused me of something, is, like, a lot of people say that, like, Outlaw Country is about drugs. It's like, Outlaw Country was not about drugs because everybody was a drug addict. Like, all of those guys, even the mainstream Nashville guys, were all drug addicts. There's, like, a, a famous story about a guy who, like, famous story about, like, riding his lawnmower to a liquor store at four o'clock in the morning. And it's like this, I think the guy seems like George Jones. And they're like, this is like a classic story in country. Like he's riding his lawnmower to the liquor (laughs) store at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And Steve Earl's like, no liquor stores are open at four o'clock in the morning. He was riding his lawnmower to his crack dealer's house. Like he was a crack addict. That's what was going on. But like it's okay uh, if he's a, if he's an alcoholic. That's fine. That's like Nashville's okay with that. But like you can't be you can't funny. be a crack addict. That's not cool.
2: Well, he he was saying in, in the I I guess probably a little before this album was released, he was saying that in Nashville at these honky tonks, everybody would drink. Right, and so you had the the superstars down to the 19 year old songwriter trying to get get his start. They were all in the same place. It was this melting pot, right? And then cocaine hit, and all of a sudden, all the superstars who could afford cocaine picked the party up and moved it. <laughs> so this like communal aspect uh, of like the people, the haves and the have-nots, uh, suddenly changed. So now Nashville was like you had two uh, two distinct groups of people, right? The rich cokeheads who could afford it and get away with it, and then the poor drunks who were still working in the honky tonks trying to, you know, sc- scrounge enough money to make.
3: And by the sound of it, Waylon Jennings was a cokehead because he just shreds. Right. <laughs> yes. I,
1: I don't I actually don't well, know if Waylon Jennings was a cokehead. I do. <laughs> uh, I will say this: um, in <laughs> listening to this album, I listened to a couple of Towns Van Zandt albums, and there's one live Towns Van Zandt album where he does a song called "Cocaine Blues," which is an amazing song. I recommend you all go listen to Cocaine Blues by Towns Van Zandt. It's really, really good. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about Outlaw Country. Outlaw Country. That's quite a name to ascribe to a subgenre here. Apparently, like they said, it wasn't about drugs. It was about subject matter that the Nashville machine was not okay with. So they had... You know, they were, again, he was a singer, he was a songwriter in that machine. They would very much say, like, this is, like, acceptable topics, unacceptable topics. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. You can't, like, denigrate America. You can't, like, be an open atheist and talk about how God doesn't exist and stuff like that. You can't really talk about drugs all that much. Um, And so the outlaw country guys were basically the people who said, I'm going to write whatever I want to write. And I will, you know, basically take ostracization from the Nashville machine... To get the uh, you know to get my message across, and now I want to transition right now. Just we're gonna play the song "Guitar Town," the uh, the title track on this album. Uh, we're gonna play that, and we're gonna talk about some general impressions on the album. So here we go. First taste of '80s country for y'all. Guitar Town.
5: Hey, pretty baby, are you ready? Me, yeah, good rock could rockin' daddy down from Tennessee I'm just that off about battle Santone with a radio blasting in the bird dog gone Best be travel my head and sound town no an old local yoga gonna shut me down Cause me and my boys got the trigger around and we'll come a thousand miles from a guitar channel
1: Okay so I want to hear some general impressions of the album, and I especially want to hear them in light of the fact that this outlaw country umbrella that Steve Earle is very much under is supposedly about controversial topics. Let's hear what your impression was of this album.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I I can start here. So, like... (laughs) in general so i I have always at least thought i had some kind of fondness for you know americana type of music the the simplicity just the the heart right and you know more specifically the kind of alt country that this is said to have inspired which i came across that in the research i didn't really hear much of that actually coming through so in general, I thought this was like an honest effort. Like I felt like there was some some heart there, some honesty, um, especially compared to what you would normally think of as country today, which is like you know whiskey trucks and jeans and stuff like that. But nothing stuck with me at all, honestly, with this album, except for being kind of tired of it towards the end. That's literally all I remember. I felt like if you kind of strip away the the twang, the pedal steel, the slide guitars, all that stuff, you're kind of just left with like warmed over. Springsteen and Johnny Cash-ish. Rob, you actually mentioned last week something that kind of stuck with me, which is the idea of like, if you evoke apathy in your music, then you've kind of failed. And I, I, the fact that this is even referred to as outlaw or that it's ascribed to this like hard edge kind of music, I felt next to nothing listening to this.
2: Yeah, I I can dig that. And I I mentioned earlier that I might be a country boy at heart. So in, in my head, I have these these drops of country music throughout growing up, whether it's the Eagles or it's uh, Kenny Rogers, or even, you know, something as modern as Rascal flats. Some of the bands that have kind of that Southern fried rock influence, like those appeal to me, you know, there's certain bluegrass things I hear. I like, so in my mind, I'm like, I like country. And then I listened to this and this is really mediocre. Yeah. It just, it to, to Alan's point, by the five or six listens to it, I started to get a little bit tired. I have some complaints about the instrument. Five
3: or six, Jesus listens. Christ, you got that deep, dog. Yeah,
2: man. What? I told you on the last podcast. I go hard, homie. He puts in the work, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Couldn't get
4: through one on Velvet Underground,
2: but <laughs> which tells you, which tells you a lot, right? So yeah, it it uh, I I would say it's it's my initial uh, thoughts are that it's just mediocre and some questionable instrumentation uh, choices
3: questionable instruments I'll, I'll just jump in here questionable instrumentation choices I, I don't know i mean i'm just gonna disagree with you for fun i mean I don't know, it's just a country record you know of course there's a bunch of like twangy guitars and like slap back to left oh no it's
2: not even the guitars I, you, maybe i i should just point it out right now it's that horrible 80s organ synth organ Ooh, that they just yeah, constantly have on yeah. tremolo on nearly every <laughs> song and there's like a there's a golden girls piano sound yeah, on there yeah, too.
3: yeah sure sure Good call. I wouldn't have called it a Golden Girls, but I like yeah, it. right. I like that a lot. Uh, the thing for me that drives me nuts uh, as a sound, and this isn't just this record. This is a lot of records from this era, um, although there are definitely examples of it being done well. Is the st- stupid drum reverb like what is that like it's like not every song is like coming in the air tonight right like you're like why is this happening why are the drums being played in a key? so
1: phil in it like a
3: perfectly tuned
1: interesting case. thing that you will appreciate is that this was one of the first country albums to be digitally recorded Digital recording, and you can tell. Yeah, that, yeah. that might be the lighting. problem. It's digital. It does, yeah. it
3: does, it does have yeah. something. That's, that's interesting. No. So, uh, it, it, first impressions on the album were definitely, uh, you know, this is hardcore 80s. And in general, I do think there's a period of time here where I think it, it's hard to see past like this sort of production. Definitely feel that this way. I kind of like hardcore country songwriting. I was looking forward to some more of those, like, Changes like the country changes um, You know that are sort of Powerful you catch some of them So it's not that they're missing completely but I I want a little more of that and uh, I will say There are elements of the record and, And Guitar Town specifically that I feel like You do see the influences like you can See in weird Ways everything downstream from Like modern country To like Old Crow Medicine show and like You know modern hootie uh, but in general it's kind of just lame though i mean you, you can kind of see the influence but i couldn't actually enjoy the record itself
2: for for people who can't see us obviously you're not on the zoom but when phil said <laughs> modern hootie
3: everyone
4: <laughs> smiled and laughed quietly thank you phil
3: his name isn't modern yeah. hoodie. <laughs> you do you do
4: find a way to bring them up quite
3: frequently <laughs>
5: Hootie? Yeah, <laughs>
2: right. I, I, have a, I have a Darius Rucker tattoo, so you'll just have to <laughs> take it he, easy.
3: I, I mean, honestly, what's the name of that record? Maybe I should just maybe I should check out that Hootie record. <laughs> it's got <laughs> to just be called, called Hootie and the right?
0: <laughs> hey, I've heard stories of Gellner playing Hold My Hand in band practice. Im, and it no. crushed. Oh,
1: Im, it crushed. We played it impromptu one time where I had never played. None of us had ever played the song before, and I feel like Adam just went like, with a little love. And then we Mis- played the song perfectly. There's <laughs> like every change is obvious. I knew yeah. <laughs> I knew
2: every word somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like right. I loved that song. But like I
1: guarantee you, you put anybody on this call in a room and you have and you just have somebody start off with a little love. You can figure <laughs> it all out. It's everything is so obvious.
4: <laughs> it, it
1: it is called Hootie in
3: the yeah. Blood. Sorry, right. in fact
1: anyway rob what'd you think of guitar town
4: (laughs) yeah i would echo a lot of the same sentiments we already heard it was pretty bland i am certainly not a country aficionado but i do like americana i like country inflected rock i'm a huge fan of the countrified version of say the grateful dead and older outlaw country like johnny cash and willie nelson even merle haggard stuff like that. And of course, Mm -hmm.
3: Merle Haggard. Yeah. And I
4: love, and I'm a huge devotee of Bruce Springsteen and I love songwriting as a craft. Uh, I do know quite a bit about songwriting, I feel. So this, I was expecting more, uh, better songwriting, more interesting choices, whether it's around production or song structure, things like that. And I really didn't get them. So nothing stuck to me. I agree. I was wearing a raincoat, There's something that I always associate with Alan, but I think it's a Woody Guthrie quote from way back in the day where he said something to the effect of, if you're playing more than two chords, you're showing off. And um, I can assure you no one was showing off on this record.
1: Well, I'm going to say, you guys are all stupid for not liking this, and I'm better than you because I do. Um, No, I'm just kidding. This album sucked. I was saying, like... (laughs) It was good that this album was made by a redneck drug addict because it was completely toothless. That was like my big singer line that I came up with. Well done. I mean, honestly, like outlaw country, I expected there to be some realness, some pathos. I got nothing. The guy's got a really interesting life.
0: So who who made that connection? Like. Is that Was that, like, the critical kind of response was that this is outlaw country? Because, first of all, I never even heard that term until now, but it, it it clicked as soon as you started talking about it. Like, I thought, like, Willie Nelson types. Has this been ascribed to outlaw country? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Steve Earle is, like, one of the mainstays of outlaw country, and he was, like, like that, um, that Heartworn Highways documentary. It's about, like, all those outlaw country guys, and, like, you know, he's in that documentary, and they're just, like, playing – Guitars, it, like they're like all literally sitting at a table, and like everybody's chain smoking the entire time. How these people are not all dead, I don't understand. But like, it just—he was a big part of that scene, and um, you know, he obviously like idolized Towns Van Zant. And so I, I listened to a bunch of Towns Van Zant stuff. Like I listened to more Towns Van Zant than I listened to Steve Earle's Guitar Town while I was doing the research
0: for this because like it's so much better. <laughs> I just and didn't hear so any grit. Real. At all, yeah, like there was zero. I expected yeah. just a little bit more feeling. Like if this is outlaw, I, I don't know. What are you fleeing from? Like a jaywalking charge? Like <laughs> what, what's the? <laughs> I, I'm at a loss here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty formulaic. Again, it suffered from the '80s in terms of its production values. I could definitely tell that it was '80s um, from just some of the choices. But let, let's also put this in context of not only just country music, but also popular music. When this album was released, the number oh, yeah, one give song in the U.S. What do we got? It was really? Kiri. No, it was Kiri by Mr. Oh. Mr. was the number one song in the U.S.
3: I'm actually happy because like a hot second there, I thought you were trying to tell me that I guess Guitar Town was the number no, one song No, in no. the
1: US. <laughs> The number one country <laughs> song mind. in the U.S. was You Can Dream of Me by Steve Wariner, which I also listened to. Completely terrible country. But like country <laughs> had been on a slide. So like if you were to track the arc of country music, basically hit peak popularity in the 40s and then...
2: Steady With like Chet cam. Atkins and and those guys, yes. right? And actually, on the one thousand and one is um, uh, there's like a really old school country guy, and I can't think uh, a Buck Owens. Oh Buck yeah, Owens totally and Buck, and Buck Owens. Roots. Yes, that
1: was like yeah. the fifties. Yeah, right. So peak popularity in the forties, still very popular in the fifties, but basically like black music started getting played on popular radio and people were like yeah this is better and um (laughs) and then you get the 60s it was the slide the 70s there was still there was still country cachet in the 70s like 70s was a little bit of a resurgence 80s was kind of a kind of like the low point of country
3: well the 70s you get like you get that sort of stuff too right like you get like uh Flying Burrito Brothers, even the Eagles, right? Like, right. that first Eagles record, there's a lot of sort of Tex-Mex yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, obviously Willie Nelson. Can, who's and you got like Dolly Parton territory. and like artists yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Just William. killing it. Just yeah. killing it. Yeah. Linda yeah. Ronstadt. Yeah, these are... these are. That winners.
4: was also... Yeah, that was the decade where people like Willie Nelson took a little bit of a left turn away from Nashville and started doing yep. their own thing and kind of made their name as... Yeah, which was Outlaw Company. innovator. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. 80s... Like country ain't country ain't doing too great. Um, the funny thing is that like you hit the '90s and country starts going nuts. Like achy breaky heart, crossover mainstream popularity. Garth Brooks, who sold like 200 million Garth records, Burns. Shania yeah. Twain, who sold like 100 million records. Like these people in the in the '90s start absolutely killing it.
3: Also, if you want to talk about Guitar Town, that's also the period where people like. Brad Paisley and George Strait hit the scene, yeah, and these guys just right. rip. Yeah, yeah. like r- No, 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 not George Strait. Brett Mason. Brett, uh, George Strait's like cowboy hat, dude. Right. Uh, but, Wait, which cowboy hat, dude, are <laughs> <he's> you <Cowboy> talking <laughs> about in their film? I'm sure
4: it's not the only time it's going to come up, but I kept thinking about I think this is 86. 84 is when Born in the USA, the Bruce Springsteen album comes out. I feel like a lot of that Americana was pulled into the rock and roll sphere by the likes of Springsteen, John Mellencamp. That's actually... So, you know, I, That's a really yes, play. they weren't probably charting on country charts. Right. But I think I assume a lot of that audience sort of got pulled over in that direction at that time.
3: Uh, I had not considered it until you said it, but there is a bit of a crossover sort of production thing. Right from a, say, like, Born in the USA, Springsteen, right? Obviously, that's much better. It's time, so right? much better. Like, the Springsteen
4: yeah. songs that were coming out around this time were so much, I'm sorry, they're just so <laughs> much better. Yes, My yes. Hometown is such a much better written song. And just because I was trying to get context, too, but I took it in a different direction, I made myself listen to John Mellencamp, Shudder. <laughs> and so a little, little tidbit for you guys. Daddy Cougar. A little tidbit, that song Small Town, it's definitely still better than any of the Steve Earle songs on this on this album by a country mile but i never realized that small town is basically a rewrite of born in the usa go back and listen to it it's got big snare it's got big major or at least the production sound alike it's remarkable you're like man you were really just trying to
2: shit dude you're right as i'm running that through my
1: head i gotta say i really hate john cougar mellencamp i i've Very much. Like, I hate everything about him.
0: His songs, his attitude, his stupid name, everything about him. I can't (laughs) say it. So whoever's editing this has already committed to doing a mashup of those (laughs) two songs.
3: But, like, listen. I mean, Tom, on the plus side, like, you could always bum a smoke.
1: (laughs) I don't know. He'd probably be a dick about it.
3: Um, (laughs) That's that's almost for sure. But, like,
1: so Guitar Town was nominated for two Grammys, Best Male Country Vocalist and Guitar Town the song. Nominated for Best Country Song, and that, like astounding. this album, this album went gold, which was like kind of big for the time. It sold five hundred thousand copies, but that was kind of big for a country album at the time. Extraordinarily well received. This was number twenty-seven on the list of the top forty country albums of all time. It's insane. Ooh. I know it's insane.
4: What? Yeah. I, Particularly the title track, if we can pivot into that, because I really yes. there are some there are some decent songs on here. I think they fall by you know the production holds them back and the lack of interesting changes or interesting instrumentation. But Guitar Town, the song is such a stock run through of country cliches. It, sound, it sounds oh, like totally. something they wo- wrote for the Walk Hard soundtrack. Like <laughs> joking about this. <laughs> no, uh, listen, I 100%
1: agree. I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive on Guitar Town, Um, but before we do that, we have to take a quick break and hear from this week's sponsor. So this week's episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's is proud to announce a new addition to their menu that we are sure is going to become an instant classic. So for a limited time, stop in at Arby's and try their brand new Squid Ink Paella. That is right. We are bringing the Spain back to stomach pain. Arby's. Just tell us when to stop piling meat on the bun. All right, so we're back. Does that come with or without Horsey Sauce? Listen, it always comes with Horsey Sauce, okay? It always comes with Horsey Sauce. There is not an option. Back from that quick sponsor break, I uh, just want to dive into like the actual song of Guitar Town. And I got to tell you, my like number one thing, I was so disappointed when I heard this song. I was I was stoked for this album. I thought I was gonna get some like some actual like real gritty country, and like is he doing an, a vocal affectation? It was like, hey
2: little oh, baby, come on down. He's dialing up that country
0: twang. Which, by the way, the Hey Little Baby, there's a song that about, maybe we can post it, but it came out in the 90s. I don't remember who it was, but it's like Hey Little Baby, won't you give me a sign? John Michael Montgomery, that's who it was, and it sounds. It it just takes that entire line, basically. It sounds the exact same. Just
3: turns it into a song.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He actually turns it into a good song.
0: Yeah, I didn't say it
2: was good. (laughs) All right. A song. We'll call it A song.
1: Adam, what do you think about Guitar Town specifically as a song? That organ, man.
2: I So I am a bit of a snob when it comes to Hammond because... I, I grew up with one on my front porch. And pitch and timing. My, yes. All right. I'm a snob about a lot of musical <laughs> the stuff. The timing was I probably, fine. I, I probably don't have any right to be, but the organ, you know he was in a studio that had a Hammond in the corner, and it, there was probably a Leslie sitting next to it. It would have been so easy to turn that on, but the uh, it, it kind of distracted me from the whole tune. Some of the corny stuff Rob was talking about, you know, speeding back home, and he's got the radar gun to avoid. like, it's just a lot of cliches, and it, uh, yeah, it, it didn't do much to me. For a title track, I will agree that it was a, a bit
4: disappointing. You tell me you're breaking new ground with a song about traveling, rambling, making a stand <laughs> with, your, with your guitar. <laughs> wait, wait, a road-hardened musician?
2: I think this might be the first song yeah, about a road-hardened is. musician. And the and the the steel flaps on the road and ugh.
3: serious question. If you made a sort of rock country Led Zeppelin meets country record called Ramblin <laughs> like what are the odds that wouldn't be huge? I mean, you just sell all those songs to who's the fake Led Zeppelin band now? They sound like children. Greta Van Fleet. Greta Van Fleet. Led Zeppelin. Oh God, those losers. <laughs> yeah, they suck. God. It's like, it's like av club pretending to they, oh god it's the worst anyway 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> anybody
4: have any final thoughts on guitar town we can, we can, we can't let it pass without mentioning the, the jap guitar line right we kind of talked I, about yeah. it on the text string but that's yeah you can't get far
5: on 37 in a guitar. chan now smoking into texas with down and rock a little from
4: guitar It just kinda that, that pulled me even farther out of it. He's supposed to be So on the Yeah. Go ahead. Adam. The sing
2: on the single that they released, they changed it to cheap guitar. Uh, and on the actual real quote unquote real version they had Jap guitar,
4: which we talked about was, was a So
3: they even knew it was like a little tasteless. Right. They were like, Oh well, maybe so- we should go- <laughs>
4: record two versions of this (laughs) well just to loop everyone in right on what we all kind of know which is that it japanese manufactured fender stratocasters are a cheaper version of cheaper way to get you know american-made guitars are the most expensive and the highest quality right so presumably that is what he's referring to but it still feels tasteless and weirdly (laughs) anti-japanese industry (laughs) from the 80s and yeah cheap fits in there so easily
0: yeah, it, it was bad, especially yeah, since, true. you know, which we also discussed in the text thread, like, Japanese guitars are fucking nice. Like, they're not some, yeah. like, bargain uh-huh. bin. Maybe in the 70s, I know they were copying, like, you know, you could get, like, a made-in-Japan, like, Rickenbacker, you know, sort of clone. I but They're good.
2: In, in high school, I strived for a Japanese uh, Strat. All I could afford was the Mexican one. Yeah. That's an even lower. And those are good down... too. Yeah. <laughs> right. <was> just... <laughs> well, the funny thing is
1: that, like, that just shows, like, kind of a general lack of guitar knowledge because at the time, Spender oh, Japan right. was making some really good guitars. Yeah. Arguably better yeah. than the they Americans. Made...
3: <laughs> it's possible they could have had a bad rep. Like, obviously, we weren't, like, there. But no doubt, like, time has. Time has shown that those guitars are quality. What are you making yeah.
0: like a <laughs> slow gin fizz over there, Phil? I, just
5: have to,
2: like, I love that Phil waits till the moment that he's talking to make yeah. do the loudest, noisiest, most in uh, uh, identifiable or like pick outable.
3: It could have been an Alka-Seltzer
0: like, too Judging by okay. that
3: Yeah well I'm, I've been working on my Foley rig yeah, yeah. And you know I got it just off Just off camera right. here
1: So let's move on <laughs> to the uh, the next song <laughs> In this uh, John Cooker Springsteen album Or uh, no wait I'm sorry We're going to talk about Goodbyes All We Got Left So we're going to spin just a minute of this gem For you guys It's not
5: There's nothing that I can do. Talking won't do any good in a way. Goodbye, it's all we've got left
2: to say. All oh, right, this is the uh, Th- Jimmy Buffett song. <laughs>
5: yeah,
3: dude, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have a Jimmy Buffett vibe. Yeah. I got a cheeseburger and
2: I'd like to drink a beer. The note, the note that I wrote for the
0: song. <laughs> The very first time I heard it was, this is the song that would be created if Billy Joel and Jimmy Buffett <laughs> made a country song.
3: Totally. <laughs> yeah, it
4: it yeah. has total bosom Buddies theme, <laughs> Billy Joel's My Life it's in it. so much.
1: That specific song, yes. Yeah. Did anybody else notice? All right, so in Guitar Town, and it actually happens a ton on this album. We talked about this album being very formulaic. It's like, hit the chorus and then do this, like, pl- lead guitar line Dom ba-dom ba-dom bom bom bom. Yeah. <laughs> they did not change Maybe the tone. tone of the melody yeah. they didn't change the tone on that lead guitar for this song it's the exact same tone <laughs> on the guitar like the, it's like did you spill kool-aid on the knobs and you can't change them or something like what the hell <laughs> yeah. man you're in a professional <laughs> studio It's the George
2: Thurgood effect where he superglued all the knobs on his amp and guitar so he only has
1: one sound for eternity. Yes, but George Thurgood... Gets the most out of that sound. They somehow I get the will, least right, out yes. of this sound.
2: I'll, yep, I'll give yeah. you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, yep. yes. It's
1: like it's yeah. like saying Santana has the same tone. Yes, he <laughs> does. But that's just <laughs> Santana. <laughs> that is just the, <laughs> like honestly. If you went, we talked about this before. Like if you went and saw Prodigy and the guy didn't have the devil haircut. If I went and saw Santana <laughs> and he changed the guitar tone, I'd be like, and Come on, man! Like, what are you doing <laughs> here,
3: dude? Boom. If they sold a guitar pedal called Santana and I had no knob, <laughs> just the <throwing> on <off> button. <laughs> It would move a lot of units. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's it. like that Joe Dart bass, the guy from Wolfpack. He has like his own signature uh, Ernie Ball Music Man bass, and there's only one knob, and it's volume. Like that's all it <laughs> <Joe> does. <Ball>. <laughs> <laughs> is awesome. Oh yeah. So
1: this is another total Springsteen song, right? Like I feel like this is like it's crappy Springsteen.
4: The the best, the most generous I could give it is that the hook reminded me of Roy Orbison. But it also made me feel like it was stolen a little bit. So, like, I, I kind of I wrote like decent concept for a hook, but not inspired songwriting by a long shot.
0: Well, I think I read that this was the other single possibly on the album that had like a modicum of success. And holy I shit, if you, you chose to listen to this people. again, like, yikes! That's I think this bad. is the one that the melody, maybe maybe Lou Harris did a cover of this. Um, Unless she did Guitar Town, we're talking about the next one, right? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about
1: good guys, goodbyes, all she got left. I, I might be mistaken here. To be, a, This is another one of those where, like, you know, I'll get my confessional booth for the listeners here. Like, I had a really hard time sinking my teeth into this one because it was just so, you know, tra- it's, uh, like uh, transient. I was just like, oh. It's like biting into an eraser. Like, it just, it's ta- just like. Oh. At least erasers have a little bit of uh, heft to them, you know. right. <laughs> The claps on the chorus are what made me really think uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. They they get the claps oh, right. coming out of the chorus. I was like, that's a that's a Johnny Cougar. That's a Johnny Cougar move right there.
3: I I didn't hear the the sort of like my life thing, but it after Alan you said it, it's like it's it's ridiculous. And yes. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. obvious. <laughs> the other I get another sort of like rocker of this era whose vibe I get, and again it just sounds like sort of like a 80s tamed neutered countrified, digitized version of it is like do you guys get any uh oh god uh golden hair surprise what's this guy's name America he's got slide all the time he's always uh oh god
4: isn't that an America song yeah, well, I Gold
2: tried to make it Sunday.
1: You're thinking of Jackson Brown. That's not a
4: Jackson damn. Brown song. That's, oh, even, okay. yes. That's even worse. You were thinking of That's uh Doctor My Eyes, That's maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I get this
3: underlying like Jackson Brown vibe too. But uh like I don't really like Jackson Brown, <laughs> so. it's like it's not it's not sounding good.
4: He was another guy, just a call back to last week, he's another guy that was infatuated with Nico and wrote songs for her and played guitar on her That's solo. To be
1: a leggy blonde in this world, I yeah.
4: imagine life's a lot easier for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, you, one thing I will say, uh, Rob. Just up. This, this one's for you. Very prominent floor tom in this song coming out of the choruses. <laughs> I know Rob loves the floor tom, but I was like, yeah, they're really leaning onto that floor tom. That's
3: right. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah appreciated that Uh,
1: any final thoughts on uh goodbyes all we got left to say or should we uh move on move on up i guess yeah i'd say move on up to the next song because uh we're gonna go to my old friend the blues which i will preface before we listen to the song this was my favorite song on the album i thought this one was actually uh, a good song let's listen to a second of this here and uh we'll give some general impressions
5: just when every ray of hope was gone i should have known that you would come along i can't believe i ever doubted you my old friend the blues another lonely night so,
1: I'll start it off by saying the reason that I found that this is the most rememberable song, rememberable, uh, memorable song on the album is that uh, I felt like some actual pathos. I, I felt like some real emotion on this song, which was completely devoid in any of the other tunes that I listened to. Um, anybody else feel that this was like had a, had a, a bite of realness to it? Yeah,
0: this is by far my favorite.
3: This song is the most like my favorite song on the record, Little Rock and Roller, which I also felt, to me, actually felt real. Felt like this was a real story, uh, or at least something he could relate to. I do think uh, he did have a young kid when he was least, on the
1: road, so like, you know.
3: It's also the least listened to song on the record, so, you know, this <laughs> is...
4: This is more what I was hoping to hear from the record when I started it, the the, the pathos. So I definitely get the appeal of songs like this. I I still wasn't in love with it, but it's definitely better songwriting. You know, clever with feeling. Yeah, I thought this was my favorite. I I agree with Tom. This was my favorite
0: song on the album. I don't think I could have listened to like 10 tracks like this. Um, I wouldn't say this is what I was expecting either. I was expecting almost more like kind of Willie Nelson- you know good johnny cash ish but yeah good cool song i i i thought i i, I felt something and uh you know yeah that's but not i nothing. felt
1: nothing on the rest of the song so
0: <laughs> right right
1: <laughs> adam any uh any thoughts on this particular tune
2: nah, the pedal steel was nice i do agree with well so it's it's funny that that phil enjoyed that uh the Little Rocker song, which to me felt super sappy, like overly sappy. He's like, I need to take that Old Friend the Blues song and just dial it up to like 10. Uh, that felt like super <laughs> sure. contrived. And it also, I think he's also a pretty shitty parent too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he did, yeah, no he, doubt. He did, he did an interview when this album was coming out and he's like, yeah, I've got a, a five-year-old son. He's like, but I plan on touring uh, and I'll, I'll stop touring and come back around when he's 12 Because that's when I started to be a pain in the ass to my parents. I'm like, I think you're missing the point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, he set an alarm. He's like, another seven years, and then I'll be a good dad once my child's already destroyed. But, you know, I'll just neglect you through the formative years, and then, you know, everything (laughs) will be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Uh, As a dad, I can (laughs) somewhat. Sympathize with that. I sympathize with the sentiment, but like, it's you know, you do understand that there's some trade-offs there. You're not going to get a well-adjusted human. You're probably going to get a heroin addict redneck for a fucking kid. You know.
0: Look, every decision comes with collateral damage. Okay, it's just it's just where you you want to put it. My one production note on this
1: song is that this is the one that I want to hear sixty-five-year-old Steve Earle singing when he actually has some, like, you know, life you know some some skid marks of on the road of life behind him where he can actually put like a little bit more maybe genuine pathos behind it
3: he does sound pretty nice on this track like the quality of his voice he like, sounds very nice it's a, very, it's a really nice performance
4: As I'm speaking of pathos and we're talking about the sun you know justin towns earl died of a accidental overdose oh god cocaine laced with fentanyl last year oh yeah. shit He's a, he's a young guy. Well, I,
2: I feel like age. a total dick.
4: Yes, yeah, so that's yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, he should feel like you know, a total dick. He to like. should Steve feel like Orl a total yeah, dick for right. neglecting right. his son for his entire life. Yeah. yeah, I think Steve
1: Earl might. If have... he
2: ever listens to this podcast, <laughs> sorry, dude.
1: He seems like a cool guy.
4: <laughs> well, I gotta say, we love I the wire. Totally though I think he seems like Steve. a cool guy. I would definitely have a beer with yeah this guy. I just so I feel bad trashing his first effort. Oh, I thought you were talking about his first effort on fatherhood,
1: on parenting, first effort. Yeah, the follow-up was better. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you get married, to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> ah. All right, so let's, let's on that that very upbeat note, let's move on oh to maybe one of the most upbeat songs on the album, which was uh, Think It Over. Let's just spin this one real quick.
5: you here, you I'm still hanging out This game ain't nothing You've changed your mind so many times. I'm still in love with you. I thank you, love, when you're walking out the door. Why'd you go leave me sad and blue? And if you knew what well, I'd go through, you think you, love.
1: This was what I was expecting if it wasn't going to be like, uh, you know, that sort of like very Willie Nelson kind of like highwayman style. I was expecting more of this, more kind of traditional Nashville type of, of song out of it. So I was pleasantly surprised by this one.
4: I marked this one my favorite just because it was so old school sounding. It had some Johnny Cash walk the line. It had some Buddy Holly. That'll be the day in there. You know it's still background mm-hmm. music. I got to be honest that it's the song art is not amazing or anything it's pretty pretty stock on that level but I enjoyed I enjoyed just the experience of listening to it
0: yeah I <laughs> so the first thing I thought of when I listened to the song was I used to have this argument like a running argument with my brother-in-law and the question always was, does water have a taste? And like some people say it does have a taste and some people say it doesn't some people say it tastes like nothing but it has to taste like something right because nothing tastes like nothing anyway the moral of that story is to me this song felt like nothing like <laughs> the only thought i had was there's a band in wilmington called the bullets that i could envision them playing a song like this because it had that rockabilly kind of thing but I, I was like trying to take notes and trying to Anything, find something right. that I thought was worth, was like a novel perspective. This, to me, was the water of I, The only songs. note I had
2: for this was the wood blocks that sound like a horse trotting. That was like the only <laughs> thing that stood out. Because like... Like I was like, oh, that's the percussion. Nah, that's kind of cool. I'll write about that. But that, yeah, that was kind of the only thing that stuck out. So
1: I will say I like... The guitar work in this song, but I also like like Patsy Cline, and this seems like the kind of yep. song that he like wrote when he was selling songs to the Nashville Machine. Mm-hmm. This is like one of those songs, and so, but I actually kind of like those old country songs like that. I, mean, I, I don't listen to a lot of them, but like when I
2: do, right, like this is Buck Owens and the Buckaroos. Like this yeah. is like what yeah. that sound is. Totally, and I can which is cool. That. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
3: This definitely gave me the Patsy Klein, Chet Atkins sort of thing This is definitely a little more of what I expected on the record Which I think is something that a few people have said it, I, I noticed this listening to this song now Sort of just in the conversation Did you guys think this record was going to have any fast songs on it? Like doesn't it seem like all the songs are slow?
1: Yeah, that's like, a really good point But
3: but like not like slow, slow Just like slower than they should it's be
0: Slotting <laughs> Yeah Yeah, good word. I I definitely expected something a little bit more bluegrass y with something a little more maybe danceable. Maybe if you know if you dance to bluegrass or line dancing, baby. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, I expected some higher tempo stuff.
1: Just more high energy in general. I thought that listening to this album, like, listen, we're all in the middle of uh, the pandemic still. And uh, you don't get to do all of the things that you used to do where you, like... I read an article talking about how, like, everybody's basically traded excitement for anxiety in their life. Like, you used to go out and do exciting things. And now all you do is, like, sit around and have a lot of anxiety. And, like, I, I find it hard to, like, work up a ton of energy. And, like, I... When I'm listening to an album, I want it to at least help me in that direction. And this album did not give me any energy. I got nothing coming from that into myself that I could say like oh yeah like maybe that's part of the reason why I've been listening to a lot more like uh, you know fast hard rock during the uh, during this era is that like I feel like it transfers energy to you this almost sucked energy away from me (laughs) and not even in the way that I get like an energy vampire but not even in the way that you get like some kind of like um, you know it's not cathartic even like I didn't even
0: get that out of this Tom I think you might like Velvet Underground (laughs) Listen, I gotta tell you, especially with the uh, the amount of beer that I've been drinking lately,
5: I could
1: tip in, I could tip into heroin in, like pretty quickly. So I don't know if I need to be going down that Stay road. Stay away from Nico, and all right, let's let's move on to the last song that we're gonna talk about here, the song "Fearless Heart," and it's just let's just spin this turn for a second. I would First song on the album, I, I really yeah. yes, I hate exactly. this with the such a The only thing that in any way got me moving at all is that I, I, know, I know you're hated gonna say so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, <was like> <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the harmony, the scary part where it comes in. That I thought that was kind of cool. No, but like but otherwise, the scary yes, parts. It sounds like something
1: scar- my four-year-old would say. Like yeah. write a better line than the scary parts. The it scary sounds so juvenile. Yeah. yeah, I can't stand it.
4: Also, I can't help compare this song to Bruce Springsteen's Hungry Heart. I feel like this is supposed to be country's answer to Bruce Spring. Hungry
1: Heart is so <laughs> much better than this song. It's so much better that I didn't uh, even so make the comparison because I don't even feel like they're the same thing. Right. <laughs> like, it's like it's like Hungry Heart is like – it's not even like Hungry Heart is, Heart is like the, the PGA Tour and like this is mini golf. It's like Hungry Heart is like the PGA Tour and this is like me like kicking
4: rocks down the road or something like that. <laughs> Arranging country songs for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: so, so busy. My, my only note on this was that this had to have been in a montage in an 80s movie. Like, I don't know, it, like some B-movie where they were, you know, strolling through the field or he was going to work, something, it had to be. <laughs> He's going It <in>, <laughs> had to yeah. be in an 80s movie and background music for a montage. That's all I got from it.
4: That might make sense if if uh, if it was like title first songwriting, right? Like right, they and they needed this uh, heart. Yeah. Christian Slater yeah. fighting his way back from addiction or something.
1: <laughs> oh, it couldn't even have been anything that deep. It was like Christian Slater was trying to get his roller hockey team off the ground. <laughs> um, oh God,
3: I, I'm pretty sure that the Christian Slater movie you're riffing on is called
0: "Gleaming the Cube."
3: It's called. I think it's called "Tainted Heart" or <laughs> "Hungry Heart," and he actually has a baboon heart oh, transplant. No. Uh, this oh, is weird. They go to a Minnesota North Stars game and he catches a puck and then he dies. His baboon heart quits. Later. You gotta
0: be kidding me! Oh, and Marissa Tomei's in that movie, right? Is yeah, it Marissa Tomei is. in that movie?
3: Yeah, I know what really
0: talking about. I watch a lot Jesus, of bad
1: movies. How man. the hell did you watch? Do you guys have to like? Are you still like subscribed to Cinemax or something? And that yeah. you're watching? This yeah, movie? dude, I still have
3: that Spectrum <laughs> subscription, <laughs> the Prism subscription. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Still trying to watch Spice through this scramble. The- <laughs> well, like, in all honesty, though,
1: to get back to this horrendous song, like, I know nothing about country, but I feel like you play me four seconds this. And I'm like, this was made in the 80s. Like, it's so 80s in a very bad way. It's everything that sucks about the 80s is, like, encapsulated in the recording, in the presentation, and just everything about this song. It's like, this song blows. This it's song sucks balls.
0: <laughs> Hard to disagree there
3: I would like to use my time To talk about this song To actually talk about How the hell did Steve Earl gain this amount of fame Right like He's clearly tapped in I'm reading articles here He's spending a thousand dollars a day on drugs Like for how long A couple of weeks <laughs> 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 Like like you couldn't have had this, could have been like a year old years on end. Where's the money coming from?
4: Dig this. I, I pulled this quote from a review because I disagree with it so strongly about this record. It says, It's the kind of country tough enough to attract bikers, angry enough to rile punks, and literate enough with swaggering wordplay. To distance itself from anything coming out of Nashville. Dude, if I ever saw a punk rocker listen to this, I would fucking <laughs> yeah, shit.
1: Where's back. the <laughs> anger? This is so milk toast. So middle of the road. Oh my god. Oh, I'm angry. Well, like, then write a song that sounds angry. Every song yeah. that you write sounds like again. It's like, you know, I was born in a small town. Yeah, it's you could have made this with like an AI bot that's just like country music <laughs> AI bot dot net. It's like
2: buy that domain name right now,
0: please, <laughs> dear God.
1: <laughs> oh man! Any final words on this song, this album? Anything you guys want to say finally here? Meh. Meh. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. Meh is a good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. This. M-E-H. This is another Meh. one of those like. Yeah, Spring
2: better. How did this it make better. it? Yeah. And how the hell did this I get it maybe if you're looking at just the charts. Didn't right, do it didn't do that feels, well. It sold five hundred thousand copies in America. This feels outsourced, right? <laughs> Somebody said, Hey, there's this guy named Steve Earl, throw it on the list. But shouldn't we listen? I said throw it on the
1: list. Maybe it's like uh, you know, Steve Earle like sold all of his best songs. And then they were like, hey, you got an opportunity to write now. But he's like, oh, shit. Okay. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can <laughs> dig up some of these ones that I wrote when I was 14. Right. Because apparently he
2: is still, people still hit him up for songwriting. So, in um, uh, commercially, that he was saying that, that uh, there was a show on um, ABC called Nashville. Never watched it, but I think it was about the Nashville scene and the Nashville star. He was hired to write a, a handful of tunes for that show for the for the performers or the fake
1: artists or whatever it was. That makes so a, I, that so makes a ton of sense because he's like, you want disposable songs? I got a ton right. of disposable songs <laughs> I can throw your way. <laughs> have something that, like, you, you know, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen if it becomes a hit. You have to pay
0: royalties to, like, the actor on the show. No, no, no. Right, no. Right. Don't
1: worry about that. None of this stuff's going to endure.
0: Well, that's a good point. I do wonder if that happens where if you if you're, like, a volume songwriter and you know it's sort of like that whole dickens thing where you're like paid by the word so you're gonna write like 500 page books if you if you're just turn and burn maybe you can't write a good song at that point or maybe it does feel disposable and and that actually connects some things for me with like with this album so let's wrap it on up. let's bring it on home i am
1: i am in suspense <laughs> i really don't know what you guys are gonna say does this make the list of 1,001 albums you need to hear before you die? Alan, give it to me.
0: Uh, drum roll, please. No, it does not. No, nobody needs to hear this. I'm in agreement.
2: Like I said, this felt like biting into an eraser. And to borrow a phrase from a, one of our buddies who hosted, uh, co-hosted one of the, our prior episodes, inessential listening is what I'll call this.
3: Very fair. Very fair. I would definitely recommend like a guided meditation on YouTube over this record. Just, you know, just some soft sounds and some gentle suggestions. This is equally boring, uh, but this will, uh, at least the guided meditation might put you to sleep. Uh, so I'm going to pass on Steve Arrow's Guitar Town as a guitar you must, or as a record you must listen to.
4: Yeah, it's a no for me as well. He seems like a a cool guy, even a humble guy in interviews. And perhaps he has great songs that I don't know about, but this definitely is not a showcase for them. So I can't get this time in my life back.
1: All I'll say is listen to Towns Van Zandt instead.
4: It is way better. And You know what?
1: To Steve Earle's credit, he probably would say you should listen to Towns Van Zandt instead of me. But this album offered nothing. It was... Yeah.
0: Interestingly, though, the little I've heard of Justin Town's Earl is actually uh, might be more along the lines of what we oh, are right. looking for in in whatever quasi-country pursuit we. We're, yeah. we're on. So we are O for
1: five. O for five. That, I think that's a first and O for five. I think so. I, You know, and Steve Earle, I do genuinely apologize to you because, like, again, you seem like kind of a cool dude. And if I had the opportunity to hang out with you, I would 100% take it. I'm sure we'd have a great time. But, yeah, this album sucks. Man, I can't.
3: I mean, in all fairness, I'm sure Steve Earle would think all my albums suck.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair point. (laughs) And, And... well, I was gonna say when you when you get a role in a David Simon show based upon the strength of one of your albums, then uh, you know we can call it even in terms of uh, undue sure. cred. Deal. Ah, so all that is left now, dear listeners, and thank you so much for sticking with us. We appreciate you coming down this this journey with us to the middle of mediocrity. Um, let's talk about what we are going to do next week. Now, I'm very excited to move on very excited to get a different sound on here so got the albinator 5000 i've been cranking that bad boy it's all primed up and ready to go we're gonna spin the big old wheel like a 18 wheeler tire on a hillbilly highway <laughs> See what it brings up. drum roll well please well we have femi cootie by femi cootie and we can only hope that there is a song called Femi Kuti on this album. I haven't looked at it, but I'm
4: really hoping there's a song by Femi Kuti. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> is there any any
2: relation to Fela Kuti? That it's the son. Yeah, it's the son. Okay, all right, got it.
1: Which I'm familiar with some of Fela Kuti's stuff. So oh, this would be interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Definitely a change. Definitely Very a change. Cool. Yeah. The Afrobeat versus Americana. I uh I'm interested to see what this is going to bring. I, I, I as well, Adam, am familiar with Fela Cootie's stuff. and I think Fela Cootie is great. Also manages to be incredibly formulaic. Like every single song is like. Musical part, and then the call and response singing part, and then it's over. <laughs> and it's 12 minutes long. And they're great. They're all fantastic. <laughs> but every song is like that. Right. We'll see what right. Femi Cooties is bringing to the table. So... Please uh, go ahead and listen to that album and join us next week as we dive into it, dissect it. As always, if you're a huge Steve Earle fan um, and you think that maybe we are completely off the mark on our analysis on this one, you can let us know, and we would love nothing more than to hear from you. You can write to us at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That is 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. I promise you, we will read it on the air. We haven't gotten one yet. We're gonna get one someday and we're gonna read it on the air. You can be the first. You can tell us all that we suck, you can tell us all that we're fantastic, whatever it is, we will read it on the air. I promise, as long as there's no like weird. Yo, white, but what if Burger
3: stuff. King writes in and they want us to read an ad and it contradicts our Arby sponsorship? That I
0: will not do. I will it's not right. denigrate Arby's. <laughs> yeah. We will not do conflict of interest on on this show. No. I did see one uh, email about, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. That's like, uh, hey, do you want to pay to promote your
1: podcast in Latvia? I'm like, no, I don't think we want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Latvian listeners, but yeah. Great <laughs> yeah. subject. We Latvia. love Latvia, by the way. That's, that's right. email marketing. We're going strictly word of mouth in <laughs> the Balkans. It's not in the Balkans. In Eastern Europe. <laughs> the yeah. Baltics. The Baltics. Yes. Not the Balkans. The Baltics. Yes. Um, so. Until next week, listen to Femi Cootie and uh, I have been Tom. Alan. I'm Adam. I'm Phil. And I'm Rob. And a boosh. That was my redneck boosh. I don't know if I came across. (laughs) You
3: might want to do a second take on it.
1: No, no, no. We're sticking with take one on the (laughs) the redneck boosh. And we're keeping all this in. It's all gold.